This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The following podcast contains explicit language. I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Cultured Gabfest Summer Strut 2017 edition. It's Wednesday, July 12th, 2017. On today's show, we are going to, as is our annual want, sift through an immense strut submission list, uh, and we're going to discuss, as is also our want and our great pleasure, the state of our pop music soul with uh, Chris Melanfi, the music critic and pop chartologist, author of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One, and host of the wonderful new hit podcast, Hit Parade. Um, he will also lead us in a discussion about the song of the summer. First, let me welcome Julia Turner, Slate's editor. Hey, Julia. Hi, Steve. Uh, and of course, Slate's film critic, Dana Stevens. Hey, Dana. Hello, Stephen. And Chris, uh, it's, uh, as always, just an enormous pleasure to have you back and part of the team uh, to talk strut and song of the summer. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, I've got my head packed with strutty songs. No better state. Mm-hmm. There's no better state in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, there are sort of two categories that we're coping with here. One is what made us strut out of this immense uh, list of songs, a very generous list of songs that our listeners sent to us and what the world is strutting to. Maybe we'll start with the latter. What uh, What's on the charts now and what does it mean? What's on the charts now is uh, a whole lot of Justin Bieber. Um, the top two songs on the Hot 100 for most of the last couple months have both been songs that prominently feature the Biebs. Uh, who has basically emerged as the radio hit X Factor that can turn anything into an enormous hit. Um, This is not what we anticipated when we all saw his movie many years ago and he seemed like a sad little boy. Well, he just, I mean, talented, but and not to mention boy. what's happened since. I mean, nobody could have spelled out flash in the pan that has now burned out and is peeing in a mop bucket. <laughs> if flashes can pee in mop buckets, <laughs> than Justin Bieber in the last few years, right? right? If, if I were sitting in this no, chair. No, we were total, we were total unbelievers. How sure. did this freaking happen? Okay. So if I were sitting in this chair two years ago at this time, July of 2015, right? I would have said. Can we said, get a little zither? Doodaloo, doodaloo, doodaloo. <laughs> right. I would have said, oh, yeah, Justin Bieber, boy, that kid's got an uphill battle to ever get on the radio ever again. He had basically spent the better part of like a year and a half not recording and making a complete ass of himself. Not that he isn't kind of an ass now, but like getting arrested, you know, uh, one of his arrests involved drag racing in Miami or something like that. You know, just making a general jerk out of himself and not recording, which is the important detail. When you all saw that movie, Justin Bieber was the ultimate teen idol of the first half of the 2010s. And what was weird was most of that um, success was reflected on the album chart. He sold a lot of albums, basically to tweens and teens. Um, but he he never had a Hot 100 number one hit. Prior to the summer of 2015, I'd never had to write about Justin Bieber having a number one hit. He has since, since September of 2015, scored five number one hits, three of which he's been the lead on, two of which he's been the supporting act on. And what basically happened was all young teen idols need to figure out that boy to man transition. Michael Jackson went through it. Justin Timberlake went through it. And there's, you know, it either, you either rise or fall, right? You either become a complete flopper or you somehow make that, that grown 
I hate this term, grown and sexy or grown and whatever transition where, where you, you are taken seriously as a man. Uh, Bieber is a very high stakes version of adolescence. These poor people. Exactly. Um, I mean, Justin Timberlake is in the last 20 years, one of the signal examples. He pulled it off. Right. And then, of course, Michael Jackson, two generations ago, totally pulled it off. Um, But with costs, with tremendous costs. Right. Um, uh, Bieber. Basically, what Bieber did is he transformed himself into an EDM club pop artist, right? Like the stuff he was recording in the early 2010s was sort of R&B derived, very gently hip hop-ish pop, like Baby and tracks like that. And then at some point in the middle of all this, he he started grafting these club beats onto his thing. And when he came back, he very cleverly sort of adapted himself to the the club pop sound that is now dominated by acts like the Chainsmokers. And in the summer of 2015, he he recorded with people like Skrillex and Diplo. And, you know, he had hits like uh, Where Are You Now or uh, What Do You Mean? Yes, these were both inquisitive number one hits. Uh, well, one was a top 10 hit. The other was a number one hit. And What Do You Mean was his first number one hit in, in the early fall of 2015. And that basically, very, That's a very questing set of song titles, too. Where Are You Now? What Do You Mean? Yes, <laughs> exactly. And ever since What Do You Mean, he has just had number one hit after number one hit. Sorry was a number one hit. Uh, Love Yourself was a number one hit. And, um, and then what started to happen starting in the summer of 2016 was he realized if he threw his voice on any kind of club track, there were like several club tracks starting last summer. There was a uh, a track uh, by DJ Snake called Cold Water. It didn't go to number one. It went to like number two, but it was featuring him and it, it you know, it was an enormous radio hit. And then just in the last few months, he's basically turned two artists who've never had number one hits before into chart topping artists. Uh, DJ Khaled, mm. who is a hip-hop producer who's been around since the like early to mid 2000s uh producing like basically pileups of rappers on crew act you know uh songs with the likes of drake he threw bieber on a record called i'm the one along with several rappers like quavo and chance the rapper and little wayne that thing went to number one and then literally like the week later Another uh, song that Bieber th- literally attached himself to, a song that had been around for months by Luis Fonsi, the Latin pop star and daddy Yankee called Despacito. He threw a vocal onto that one English verse and this song rose from just outside the top 40 all the way into the top 10 and now number one. Wait, OK, so we had to go back to DJ Khaled. Like DJ Khaled yep. is not primarily famous for being at this point a like hip hop producer who's put a bunch of whatever it was you just described. He's right. like a Snapchat celebrity. He's like, he is like, I don't know, a zealot figure of hip hop. He, he, for like 15 years has been around, you know, hot people. He doesn't, there's a question. There have been reviews where people have asked, what does DJ Khaled actually do? Because he doesn't rap, really. He'll kind of talk over his records. He'll chant over his records. He'll appear in the videos, but he, he doesn't do very much other than kind of create hip hop summits where he gets a bunch of acts together and gets them, you know, Rick Ross, Drake, and gets them to record singles together. Um, well, in your slate write-up of on the one, I'm the one, you call him uh, the Gatsby, the Jay Gatsby of yes. pop music, which is kind of perfect. It sounds like he throws a good party, but he doesn't really participate. Exactly. That's what he does. And I'm the one is that all over. I mean, he, the video even looks like a party. It's Let's like, listen. The truth, the money never lie. No, I'm the one, yeah. I'm the one early morning in the dark. No, you wanna ride now. I'm the one, yeah. 
That song's a little languorous for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. I, I've actually liked the occasional DJ Khaled song. Like he did one about five years ago with Drake uh, called I'm On One, not to be confused with I'm The One, <laughs> which is actually a pretty terrific crew hip-hop record. Uh, he's made good records. This is not one. But it's huge because it's got Justin Bieber on it. What's basically gradually happened over the last, I don't know, 20, 22 months is he has become the one who gets songs to number one. I mean, if we're going to pivot now to Despacito, which is basically going to be the song of the summer, I'd be stunned if anything disappointed got, if if anything prevented it from being song of the summer <laughs> at this point. Uh, that was even a record- if none of us like it, it's just mandatory. It must, it, it, it must it's, be. It's it. I mean, I love it. When, when Melanthe when, when Melanthe speaks, it's like puff of puffs of smoke out of the Vatican. Now we know <laughs> it's the song of the I, summer. I, all I'm doing is channeling Billboard data, and the Billboard data all points. This thing has been number one for nine weeks, literally the entire summer. It went to number one like right around Memorial Day, and hasn't let up. Nothing has threatened it. Um, so, just in terms of cumulative data, Despacito. Uh, is the song of the summer. I, I'd be stunned if anything came out of left field in like early August and threatened it. Um, and it was, a it, to finish the thought, it was already an enormous Latin radio hit. It actually first appeared last January uh, and it contained only two artists, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, both of whom, by the way, have been Latin pop stars for the better part of two decades. Luis Fonsi has been around since the late 90s. Daddy Yankee has been around since the early 2000s and the rise of reggaeton, which is that, you know, kind of thumping sound that you hear on Latin radio all the time. They were the two artists on the record. And then all of a sudden around March, uh, Justin Bieber is touring in Colombia. The apocryphal story goes, here's the record says, that's awesome. Can somebody put me in touch with their people? I want to sing on that. And he grafts, uh, one English mm. verse onto the front of it. He actually sings in Spanish for the rest of it, you know, albeit in v- terribly broken Spanish. And there's even a video where Bieber is trying to sing the song by himself and he just goes blah, blah, blah. Cause he doesn't know what any of the words mean. Um, but and he turns it into a pop hit. And, you know, it is now actually not only number one on the Hot 100, this is sort of remarkable. As of this week, it's the most played song at U.S. radio, making it the only f- primarily foreign language, primarily non-English number one hit at U.S. radio in the last quarter century. Like, that's that's how big Bieber is at this point, that he turned this into a hit. Can I say, first of all, I like it better on that clip listen than I have hearing it like in the backs of taxis or whatever for the last few months. Um, But I've never heard a plaintive reggaeton song before. Like, Mm. it's it's like kind of. Have you ever heard Gasolina, which was like the yeah. hit that broke Daddy Yankee in like yeah, 2004, 2005? Yeah, but I think of that as being kind of like an aggressive song. They, normally, okay, so to take it back up for a second and take Bieber out of it, what was actually kind of innovative, if, we're, if we can call it that, about Despacito when Luis Fonsi thought it up is it is a gentler version of reggaeton. Reggaeton is normally, it's not full-blown hardcore rap, but it's basically a form of Latin rap that is a la Daddy Yankee, usually somewhat more aggressive. They had never really recorded before, and he thought, what if I take my kind of 
he does a kind of Latin balladry, often acoustic, very fl- or florid, orchestral. That's Luis Fonsi's sound. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, ballady and and soft and gentle. W- what if I attach myself? And we kind of meet in the middle. It's it's gentler for Daddy Yankee, but it's more aggressive for me. And it's got the thump, the thump, thump of reggaeton. That was his idea. And that was already working like gangbusters. If all he was trying to do was dominate Latin radio, as of the winter spring, he was already doing that. It was like number one on Latin, the Latin charts for something like three or four months before Justin Bieber even discovered it. Now it's a pop crossover hit. Luis Fonsi has never come near the top 10, the top 40 of the Anglo charts before. And now he's, you know, got the song of the summer. All right. You've convinced me to like it just because it has such an interesting story. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to like it. It's I'm talking data right now, whether you like it or don't. But. No, it's just, that's like interesting to think about. Uh, what other what are the other songs that are making the world crank down its windows? And crank well, I remember up the system? when we did this two years ago. In 2015, I was talking about how a couple of songs from the winter were hanging around forever. At the time, we were talking about Uptown Funk by um, Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars, which was like a January hit that was still on the the charts in like July. The same thing's happening this year. This song by Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, this bloody thing, this thing will not die. It's still in the top five of the Hot 100. It It's setting some kind of record, I think, for most weeks in the top five. It like debuted at number one and has never left the top five for a full half year. Um, so that thing is probably going to be the number one song of all of 2017. I'm calling it now. I could turn out to be wrong, but I'll be shocked if it isn't shape of you. I was just on vacation in Orlando for a week and the thing was following me everywhere. It's, it's omnipresent and it's not a song of summer, but it's on the songs of summer chart just because it won't go away. something here sure. chris what is ed sheeran what's his like, deal i did not i've like read what about do you ed mean? sheeran yeah what do you mean ed sheeran i i i'm aware of him as sure. like a sort of uh white british dude mm-hmm. song twos of some kind but i did not knew, know that he made that kind of like um mm-hmm. plinky pop song i sort of thought he was more like a dude adele this is like n- knowledgeless information but that's where I had him filed in my head, like Dude Adele, whose songs I haven't heard. Uh, and so who is, well, he's clearly not Dude Adele. I mean, he doesn't have the vocal chops to be a Dude Adele, but I, you're not entirely wrong in the sense that he, when he broke, he was kind of more acoustic, more ballady. Did we just compare him to a completely notional pop store star named Dude Adele that we invented? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Who must now emerge in the wake of this podcast? <laughs> I mean, actually, f- briefly, Dude Adele is Sam Smith. There already is a Dude Adele. Uh, all right. So anyway, put that aside. But um, what's interesting about Ed Sheeran, if anything is interesting about him, I, in my piece about Shape of You, um, 
Forrest Wickman loved this and he played it up when he posted the story. I called him the Ned Flanders of pop. <laughs> I wasn't just calling him the Ned Flanders of pop because he's, you know, weirdly unsexy and yet he kind of keeps talking about sex in his songs. Yes, that line where he says, put your body on me or put my body on you. You're right. Like, oh, don't. I, mm. <laughs> I was I was making that Ned Flanders comparison, but I was always I was, I was also referring Maybe to one don't. of my all time favorite Simpsons lines where Ned Flanders is talking to God and he says, I even kept kosher to be on the safe side. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Ed Sheeran will do whatever he has to do to have a hit. I don't want to make him sound utterly craven, but like, has he done hip hop? Yes. Has he done folk? Yes. Has he done, you know, EDM? Yes. Like, you know, he's even got a hit on his current album called Galway Girl, which is kind of like a post cores Irish step dancing kind of song. Like, he will do that. Like, whatever it takes to get a hit, Homeboy will do that. Um, and, and to be fair to Ed Sheeran, like, he was mixing elements of hip-hop into his sound nearly a decade ago when he started recording and doing bedroom tapes and mixtapes and that sort of thing. But when he broke in America... The reason I think you thought of him as a male Adele is around 2012, he was already getting Grammy nominations fairly early in his career for songs like The A-Team, which is this very gentle acoustic ballad. And I think people thought he was going to be that kind of guy. Like he was going to be a new David Gray. Do you remember David yes, Gray? Yes, yes. I have him filed in the David Gray folder Looked as well. kind of like a mi- middle brow, folk pop. Wait, like, name a David Gray song? Oh, God, it was like the early um, odds. He was like White, British Nora White Jones. Ladder. Babylon. <laughs> White Ladder. Babylon, thank you. Yeah, White Ladder was the name of his album and- it was also a song, but yes, Babylon. Thank you, Steve. Like that, it, like middle brow acoustic pop dude who would have scored hits, but it would have been in that lane. And basically ever since then, he's been complicating that. He started rapping a little bit on his hits and throwing in hip hop elements and working with Pharrell. He had a hit about three, four years ago called Sing, which sounded a lot like Justin Timberlake in that same Timberlakean, you know, crossover, cross R&B mode, you know, so he's he's done it all, basically. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I, I, my, my view is now complicated as well. Uh, any other any other Song of Summer tracks before we get to our own strut picks? Well, one song that has pleased me that's been lodged in the top five for the last three, four months is actually a song by a guy I just mentioned 10 minutes ago, Bruno Mars, uh, called That's What I Like. Uh, this song just charms me. It's basically... Uh, Late 80s, early 90s homage. I mean, let, let's be cynical for a moment. Bruno Mars doing an homage to a sound from 30 or 20 or 25 years ago is sort of his shtick. He does it all the time. He, you know, he had a number one hit with a song that sounded like The Police. He had a number one hit with a song that sounded like early 80s Gap Band. Now he's got a number one hit with a song that to me sounds like late 80s, early 90s Bobby Brown called That's What I Like. But it's very smarmy in the best way. It's kind of very charming and and witty and in my piece for it, because it was a number one hit, it only spent a week at number one, but it, it did so in early May, and it's been kind of lodged in the top five ever since. I talked about how remarkable it is that Bruno Mars is is kind of one of the most consistent artists of the 2010s. He had hits in the first half of the 2010s when we were listening to more florid pop songs. He was doing kind of ballady stuff, and now he's kind of gradually adapted himself to uh, a sound that's a, a little more, uh, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek and post-hip-hop and... and uh, you know, a little uh, more funky, and uh, it's more funky. Fun. Yeah. Good God. Can it get more funky? Hey, that's more inviting than Ed 
Ed Sheeran's invitation to put our body on him. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of the smooth B of songs, you know. Girl, I will lay you down by the fire. Damn. It's that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a little ad break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our uh, summer strut list. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, well, before we go any further, actually, we probably have some business. Uh, Julia Turner, what do you got? First, we want to tell you about another Slate show that you might not know about. It's a pop-up podcast, Slate's Trump Care Tracker with Slate writers Jim Newell and Jordan Weissman. Uh, It occurred to us that you might want to follow the fate of our nation's sick people or potentially sick people, a.k.a. all of us, not just in our on-site coverage, but in audio form. And Jordan Weissman, who covers economic policy for us, and Jim Newell, who's covering Congress, uh, have been gathering thrice weekly to uh, tell you what is going on with the fight over the Republican plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Check it out. Trump Care Tracker. Find it at slate.com slash Trump Care or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, also, one other piece of business and Slate Plus today, our esteemed guest, Chris Melanfi, will be sticking around to tell us about his excellent new show, Hit Parade, which appears on our feed. The third episode just dropped a really wonderful exploration of the music of Elton John and George Michael. Uh, it is so great. If you have not clicked it up on our feed, you must, must, must do so. Uh, we'll talk in the Slate Plus segment about his inspiration for the show. Also, Chris is going to reveal what the next episode's songs are what it's about you only by joining slate plus can you get this sneak preview of hit parade it's exciting (laughs) slate members can get bonus segments like that one from all of your favorite slate shows plus ad free podcasts and you can get slate plus for free for 90 days by downloading our new ios app at slate.com slash app which gives you all the benefits of plus for three months Uh, it is also by far the easiest way to get those podcast bonus segments and ad free podcasts and so check out that app at slate.com slash app. Finally, uh, last week, we made a sincere and direct request to our listeners for you to please, if you like our show, go to iTunes and post a review because uh, a smattering of new reviews can help boost the show's ranking on iTunes and help more people discover us. You extremely kindly obliged. I think we have something like 30 new reviews on iTunes where all of you guys said, such lovely things about the show and your relationship to it and and uh, listening to it. And I was hoping to read some funny and delightful examples out loud. But honestly, it's it's all just incredibly heartwarming <laughs> praise and observation from people who've clearly been in our company for years and years. Um, so thank you for taking the time to do that already. It has boosted our show's ranking on iTunes and, and probably helped more people discover us. If um, you had the thought last week, hey, maybe I should do this and you haven't gotten around to it yet. Uh, please give it a shot. I promise we're not going to ask you this every week forever. Uh, just for a couple weeks, we're going to see if we can uh, boost our show a little bit in iTunes and, and see if we can help people discover the conversations we have here every week, help them learn the glories of Summer Strut. Um, so go to iTunes and review our show if you're inclined. And to those of you who did, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was so kind. All right. On to the Strut. All right. Well, we got a generous number of submissions this year, really an astonishing number, 400 
30, I think, or something along those lines. Uh, Dana, there's no fast way to whittle this down other than maybe by stone cold point blank asking you what cut did you take away from this above all? Yeah, I have a few that I, I'm hoping that Chris can talk about and we can play a clip in our conversation. But the first one I wanted to mention, and this is somebody who who was on our list last year and I loved her song. I think we talked about it then as well. But it's Lizzo, the hip hop artist from Minneapolis, who uh, because of, of her, her cut on this year's list, she has a couple. But the one that really caught my ear was Worship from her <laughs> EP Coconut Oil, which came out late last year. Um, and because of that, I, I just started reading about her and listened to the rest of the EP and every song on it was great. And uh, it's sort of, I mean, to me, it's the essence of what strep music is, which is that they're short, hooky songs that sort of tell a story. They're they're like mascara songs. Like Julie and I have talked about this, like songs that you would listen to while getting ready for a big <laughs> night out. And Psych uh, up songs, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and she just has a great sense of humor and a really distinctive voice. The mascara song is the girls' version of the, like, at-bat music. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> sexist thing I've ever said. <laughs> I mean, that is just clean production, great horns. She has such a kind of distinctive style. And that song, Worship, ends on this little giggle. The very end of the track is her kind of laughing. And I can never wait to get to the end and just hear her little laugh. I love when a song has just like a teeny, teeny, tiny little instance in it that you just can't wait for. <laughs> and you're like just waiting for it to come again. Yeah, she can do no wrong. I mean, she I love that song, too. I love the kind of uh, almost 60s exotica-like stuff that like that kind of Latin horn thing that, you know, from like 50 years ago that on the verse, we heard just a snatch of it in that bit. Um, yeah. No, it's a terrific record. Julie is always accusing me of just falling for the retro stylings and, and all the things I pick off the list. But she sounds new and old to me. Yeah, totally. Like no, she's that's folding legit. in old stuff, but, yes. but she sounds so fresh. I don't feel like that's like just a neo-soul act. Like she's no. she's doing some synthetic thing that's super awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's move the crosshairs to you, Julia. What do you have? Okay. So I'm dying for Chris to explain this song to us. My I'll pick try. is, and this this is the song that I like can't stop playing over and over again. It is Slide by Calvin Harris. Oh, wow. And I, I kind of recommend that we play a clip from the top because it's got a very slow build, but then the, but then, but then. Uh, why is this song not the first song you mentioned? I feel like this song is the rightful song of summer, but I don't even know when it came out or anything about it. I just love it so much. <laughs> All right. The good news. It's from this year. It came out like just, I don't know, four or five months ago. Chris is so nice to us when he has to do remedial information. <laughs> um, and it was a hit. It was a top 40 hit. I say was because it's already peaked. It, it like, and it, and it. It I like this one too, and I'm I was a little surprised it didn't go higher. I think it peaked at like number twenty five uh, around early June, so it's not a th you know going to threaten for Song of Summer. 
Do you know who Calvin Harris is? Have you heard him before? Isn't he Taylor Swift's old boyfriend? Yes, among other things. Who (laughs) isn't? Dana Stevens, ladies and gentlemen. Jake Gyllenhaal guested. She'll Um, be here all week. Try the veal. Um, He's another British guy I have loosely filed. Scottish, specifically. uh, Man of the UK. Man of the UK. Uh, He's a producer who oddly then, I'm not sure he sings on this record because that, that first vocal you heard... I think that's um, one of the guests because there are several guests. I think that's Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean is on this record, Quavo. But um, S- Calvin Harris has basically had about a decade-long career, and he has risen as EDM pop has written, electronic dance music has written, risen in the top 40. Uh, to go way, way back, you know, he started pr- producing records in the late aughts, and then he had an enormous hit in 2011 with Rihanna that I'm sure you know called We Found Love. In a hopeless place. In of a course. hopeless place. That one was enormous. Like when it, it, I think it remains one of her maybe two biggest number one hits. It was like number one for like three months, and I think the credit on it actually read Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris, even though he doesn't sing anything on it. Although weirdly, he's one of these DJs who occasionally sings, um, and he just teams up with various people. And this this is like his current single. I think he's got an album coming out, or it may already be out. Uh, but he puts out albums every couple of years like Clockwork, and, and he's always got a range of guests. Last summer, actually, we could have talked about it last summer because it wound up among the five or six biggest records of last summer. He, he The reason you remember the Taylor Swift connection is that Taylor Swift wrote a song with him that was a hit for Rihanna called This Is What You Came For, which was an enormous hit last summer. If, if we played a snippet of it, actually, you'd probably know it. So that was an enormous hit last summer. Uh, what's strange about it is that that's Rihanna singing, but that chopped up style and her cooing vocal almost sounds more like the person who wrote it, Taylor Swift. It sounds a lot like a 1989 track, um, but it's Rihanna who has teamed with Calvin Harris several times. So Taylor Swift co-wrote this song with Calvin Harris under a faux Swedish pseudonym as if she were Max Martin. She called herself Niels Joberg. And the song was already climbing the charts for a couple of months when it was revealed that Niels Joberg, S-J-O-B-E-R-G, was actually Taylor Swift. And by that point, Taylor Swift and Calvin Harris had broken up. And so that was part of the backstory of the song. But anyway, it, it's Calvin Harris is sort of a an omnipresent uh, pop star who who keeps teaming up with famous people. Uh, I have several, um, you know, embarrassing admissions here. Um, one, one is that I made a kind of preliminary list of like fifteen or twenty songs, and there are like two heart-sinking feelings when you kind of go to drill down and figure out who these people are. One is when you're like, "Man, I've never heard of this. I really like it." And you see, it has fifty-nine million views on YouTube. <laughs> and the and the other is when you think, "Oh man, I really like this," and then you go to the YouTube, you know, uh, channel for it. And like half of them are live on KEXP videos, you know, and, and you're like, that's, that's who I am. I like that kind of music a little too much. <laughs> Wait, I don't even know um, what KEXP so, is. Yeah. What kind of music it's is just that? Like if, if you are an, if you are an indie band on an indie label and you're making music t- to please sacks of shit, like Steve Metcalf, Half of the oh. videos you have on YouTube are going to be live on KEXP. So it's like low self-esteem like, music. It's a Seattle radio yes, station. But... <laughs> okay, well we're yes, getting exactly. we're getting in touch with Steven Strut oh. Demons, but to name a song, dude. 
minutes. Okay, so I, I, so a c- couple things happened. One is that as I was playing this list for my kids on a very long drive over the weekend, a song came on and I really liked it. And I said, "Oh my god, what is this? I really like this." And from the back of the car, both of my kids said, "It's fucking Rihanna." <laughs> I mean, it, it was it's so same old mistakes came on, and I thought it was a great song. What I love about Steve highlighting same old mistakes, are you aware, Steve, that that is a cover of a song by Tame Impala, the Australian indie rock band? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I managed to get both 50 million plus views on YouTube and live at KEXP in one fucking track. It may be the most Metcalfian pop song on this whole list. (laughs) That is as low as self-esteem goes. I love it. but um, It's a terrific track, and and I love that Rihanna did a cover of a Tame Impala song. Uh, Good for her. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's really terrific. I, I like. All right, I'll give you one more. It doesn't strut at all, but then again, neither do I. Uh, I'd never heard of the Brooklyn band Hospitality, but there was a cut on the strut list called "Going Out" that I just thought was great. is good yeah steve that was on my short list to talk about too that has this great combination i think we talked about this that kind of strut song that's also a hammock song you know that that has that kind of leisurely luxurious sound that is more a relaxed summer afternoon it's really bewitching and i have to say a couple things just to, to abstract out from the experience of listening to pop music in bulk which is that you know it's a like it's a little like speed dating in a way. You're kind of looking for an excuse to ding a song, and there's nothing like a bad lyric or like a really cliche hook, and you just you just kind of move on. And um, it it does make me appreciate how hard it is to rise above like this immense storehouse of cliches that is pop music, especially at this late date. And a song like that, it just a song has to be about something, and it has to go somewhere. And very few songs do both, right? They can kind of open with an amazing hook and they have you, and then they just go nowhere from there. And what I love about that song is it has a very distinctive, like idiosyncratic sound, but it's bewitching and the motion of it is so great. It just moves you around its own weird internal bewitching logic, I think quite beautifully. None of that makes any sense. No, no, it completely does. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have the same thing. It's really an amazing thing to listen to these 400 songs because for me, part of... What I look for in music is something I want to listen to and over and over again, but I need to I need familiarity to figure out how sticky something is. So mm-hmm. I I like winnow it down to you know a short list of things that seem like I might like them and then I try to listen to that in my normal life and see which ones kind of stick in my head and which ones I find myself wanting to forward. Um, but that sense, there's definitely plenty of songs on the big list where you're like, what a great hook and then you're like, this feels like it's 
It's empty. It's empty, yeah. And and that funny synthesis of lyric and strangeness of sound and meaning, but enough familiarity that you're like, I know what to do to this. My body wants to move to this. Right. Not with Ed Sheeran. Uh, <laughs> you got one for us, Chris? Uh, gosh, where do I begin? Um, well, there was a lot of really good um, African and South American music. Um, one track that stuck out for me was uh, a track called... Um, Beja Flor by Timbalada, which is a, an Afro-Brazilian group that featured Carlinos Brown, who is this great drummer and, and kind of a leading light of Brazilian music. And it's got this kind of samba-like carnival sound. It's from the early to mid-90s. And uh, I don't know, it, it just... I knew I know Carlinos Brown. I didn't know Timbalada, and I like getting to know that song. Chris, once again, amidst the hundreds of songs we had to listen to, you hit on one on my short list, which I only didn't bring up as my main song because I knew I would be mocked because it's so in my comfort zone as kind of a, a Brazilian pop classic from I'm the proud early nineties. But Carlinhos Brown is is, is incredible, and, uh, yeah. and that's that song is just a it's just a great party song. Yep. Uh, I think at one point in our email exchanges about this podcast, I did accuse the list of being full of uh, Brazilian Dana Bate. <laughs> But at least this is not Bates. retro. This is this is like original full on tropical post neo tropicalia from the nineties. Right. right. Uh, and then you know, in a completely different direction, um, Steve, are you a fan of the Mavericks by any chance? I are do not know the Mavericks. The Mavericks are such an interesting band because they they've had like full blown country radio hits, like in the the nineties. They were like a country radio band, but since then, their leader Raúl Malo has kind of gone off in Tex-Mex directions and just all sorts of roots rock directions. And somebody put a song uh, by the Mavericks called Summertime When I'm With You, which is like perky Tex-Mex country rock. And it's got a great vocal from Raul Malo and uh, and even a sax in it. Um, and it's got Summertime in the title. Uh, I loved a Mavericks record about two albums ago. And this is, I think, from the album after that. So I, it was new to me. And that one I really dug. little Roy Orbison warble there I'm yeah up. yeah no I I don't know i Mavericks always impress me because they're they're very small c Catholic and their willingness to try lots of different things and and put a lot of stuff in the in the stew so uh, that song mm. grabbed me a little bit all right why don't we uh why don't we go around the horn uh, again um but there's just this embarrassment of riches here so let's um uh, let's dive in one more time uh Dana, what do you throw out another title? Oh, yeah. back to me again. Okay, well, since since Chris snagged my uh, my foreign entry into the sweepstakes, I will do another um, non-English language song that I loved, and it seems like it falls into the hammock category of lemonade sipping on a hopefully spiked lemonade on a hot vacation afternoon. It's uh, Septembre by La Femme. Can you tell me about the group La Femme, Chris? Do you know anything about them? I, I have to confess, I had to Google them myself. I, I, I didn't know much about them. In fact, I'm now checking my notes to see what I wrote about them. Um, I They sounded like 
French twee kraut rock, but a very pleasant <laughs> thump. And it, it was, like you said, it was gentle. It was almost lilting more than strutting, but but I liked it. I mean, it has that it has that breathy chanteuse kind of thing. Yes. I feel like every summer playlist should have something like Francoise Hardy or Serge Gainsbourg, but we hear those songs a lot, great right. as they are. And this seemed like a, a more modern take on that kind of airy feel. Uh, Julia, what do you got? Well, there's one song on here that I thought Dana or Steve might excavate, but since they have not, it is both a great track and it has a great story. So let's play it first and then I'll briefly explain what's fascinating about it. Can you please play Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, she snagged my last (laughs) offering. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you guys would be into this. Now, see, that should be Song of the Summer. A hundred percent. Yep. I mean, first of all, like I saw the title of that and I was like, oh, I wonder what this is. There's no way the actual music of this song is going to match how fun it would be to make a retro song from the Nixon presidency called Impeach the President, like to elevate it into the public eye. But what a great track. What a classic strut track. What a classic strut track that you don't already know. Like someone put the, what's the Redbone song? Come and Get, Come your, and love. get your Love on here. Like, yes, great song. Good work, everyone. But like, People know that song. It's I don't from the know. same era as Come and Get Your Love. Yeah, I don't and know. That if, same sort of yeah, funk, funk, funk strut. With horns and such. But <laughs> funny lyrics. Like, yeah. I like that some people think he's guilty. Some people say, I don't know. Like, not, <laughs> no, he's not. Just, I don't know. Which is like, I like that as the binary. Um, and Some then, people say, wait till he's convicted. Yeah. And then there's this whole other fascinating story. So then I started to research this. So the Honey Drippers were like a bunch of high schoolers from Jamaica, Queens. Uh, and there was some, you know, uh, musician called Roy C who partnered with them and I and I read like famous sampling history so then I was like oh I guess the you know indomitable refrain impeach the president must have been sampled previously and I guess maybe it has occasionally but the opening those opening uh that opening drum beat was like part of the origin of hip hop from what yeah. I understand yeah, I mean Chris you everywhere. can explain it better than I can it's, but... been a, it's been everywhere LL Cool J has used it on two different records it's been on an EPMD record the melodic hook that happens right after the drum beat uh, I don't know if you guys want to play this but um, an enormous hit by Shaggy with Janet Jackson called Love Me Love Me is effectively built entirely out of that that uh, if, if you if you hear the beginning of Impeach the President and it, it sounds instantly familiar even past the drum beat you probably have a memory of this Shaggy hit from about 15-20 years ago that is built entirely out of that That there's like a thousand songs here I want to talk about, but we couldn't let the stretch list go by without talking about Impeach the President. Also, a footnote: the, the song came out in 1973, which means it's a year before Nixon actually resigned. 
and a year after he got reelected. So it's it's like this really interesting moment where they're kind of ahead of the curve talking about impeach the president. So. Justin Bieber needs to put a verse on that. Put yep. that on the charts. Yep. I'd be in favor. There you go. Gutsy. Um, all right, Melanthe, give me another one. Um, let's see. I can go in two different directions here. Why don't I talk about a band that I just discovered last year? They are a sister trio from, I think, Portland called Joseph. Ooh, I liked this song, too. It's called White Flag. I mean, you know, we, we keep talking about how there are different kinds of strut. There are several songs that people threw into the mix that they almost have a cavernous you know, bigger than life could be echoing out of a mountain sort of sound. And that's this is one of those. It's this towering pop song with almost a revival tent vibe to it. Um, I find it almost inspiring. I actually discovered this song last year. My girlfriend really got into this band and specifically the song, which is called White Flag. And it's just got this wonderful um, inspirational sound to it. Anyway, I just really love that song. Um, that that track in particular is a standout. I have the whole album. It's quite good, but that song is like a cut above. Um, and then the other theme I noticed was that uh, kudos to our uh, contributors because there are some very obvious acts with some less obvious songs. For example, somebody proposed a John Lennon song from his 1974 album Walls and Bridges, but it's a track I basically forgot existed because I haven't listened to Walls and Bridges in years called What You Got, which is basically a former Beatle doing funk. Um, that was a, a, a surprising one. Uh, it was a B-side, but it was like a deep cut on the album. That was really cool. I'll confess that this one just scrambled my switches so much that I like heard it, heard the sound, could hear that it was John Lennon's voice, but was like, this can't be right. I'm just next. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't compute that that's a John I, I had Lennon to, song. I had to play it a couple times to remember. No, that's actually John Lennon. Um, somebody proposed uh, Prince's Lady Cab Driver, which is a deep oh, cut yeah. on the 1999 album, Never a Single. Absolutely. Um, it was on my list too, Chris. It's mine so too. It's, it's amazing how many of our lists converge despite the vast quantity yeah. of material. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's a terrific song and it definitely has a kind of strut. Um, I really, I mean, it's Prince. How could it not have strut, right? All right. So I'm going to go, um, I'm going to do two real quick ones. I found the least Steve cut on the whole list and kind of loved it. So we have to play it. It's, Yes, Bitch by K. Riz. <laughs> this was worth it just to hear Steve say I need to see Steve in the middle of a dance circle dancing to that song right now. That definitely seems like a mascara song. <laughs> It was offered without irony, man. <laughs> that cut speaks to me. It's <laughs> off of Broad City um, soundtrack, and uh, I just thought it was fucking great. Okay, so um, uh, I, Chris, I'm eager to know whether you ever connected with Mink DeVille back in the day. I know of Mink DeVille, but I must say that I am not deeply familiar with Mink DeVille. 
Oh, they were this, you know, critics darling back in the 80s. Definitely. Yeah. Some, that... yeah it, it, everyone try like all of the, you know, rock snobs tried to launch them and it just never never uh never took off but uh i was i was really pleased someone included a spanish stroll by mink deville hey mr jim i can see the shape you're in finger on your eyebrow and left hand on your hip Thinking that you're such a lady killer Think you're so slick Well, all right Yeah, no, yeah, that's I, terrific. I think, right, and I think of that as, uh, like, kind of from the era of, like, the Jim Carroll band, like, yes. guys who had just soaked in a ton of Velvet Undergrounds and were, you know, Velvet Underground records and were just... You know, channeling it in some kind of new way, and it just just never took. But I always really loved Mink Deville. That's a great song, and it it's it's got that sound of that turn of eighties, excuse me, turn of seventies into eighties post CBGB sound. Just like you said, Jim exactly. Carroll band. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that that's a sweet spot. I I did not know that, but I really like it. Uh, we're getting a note from Wonder Intern uh, Daniel, who spent even more time with these 400 gajillion songs than we did because he had com- he heroically compiled them all into the great Spotify playlist for us uh, for the most requested song, which is Feel It Still by Portugal the Man, which I confess I don't think I stumbled across in my listening. So let's let's listen. Am I coming out of left Ooh, that's a fresh sound. That's sort of like ska plus the Supremes or something. Like there's a. I heard it as kind of like a cross between a '60s spy vibe and something like oh, Please, yeah. Mr. Postman. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, James James Bond plus the Supremes or something. Do you know anything about the band at all? Or do you have anything to say? About I mean, them? they've been around a while. I've known of them. They're an Alaska band, and uh, they that does not. That's not my. I know, Sonic right? Alaska scape exactly. <laughs> So what that means, I have no friggin' clue. They need good songs of the summer up in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've got so many hours; they got to play them and play them. <laughs> they're no, they're just kind of an all-encompassing psychedelic rock, pop, you know, alt rock kind of band. And uh, I don't know. I like the cross between a a Motown sound and a spy movie sound to that. Um, it's it's almost got a James Bond vibe. So that was a cool one. All right, Julia, I. I'm kind of picking up that this segment is not over. Like, there's just <laughs> no way to do justice to this bounty other than going long. Um, so can I throw it back to you? Should we keep going? What do you think? I have, like, a couple more songs that really plucked my earstrings, and I'd love to I, – I wonder if I can play, like, Song Roulette with Chris and just play him a few oh, seconds of a, of a track. No, not not make you guess, but just, like, <laughs> you know, see if you can explain Stump a, a couple acts. Well, because a, a bunch of them, I think, are actually – decently big mm-hmm. songs and acts that mm-hmm. I'm just discovering through this list. So uh, can we hear a little bit of Come Down by Anderson Pock?
It was like the despair at the end of the party song. Yeah, I, I Anderson Pac is one of the leading lights of hip hop right now. I mean, kind of alongside Chance the Rapper and, you know, not as big as Kendrick Lamar or anybody like that. But Anderson Pac, uh, that's from a, an acclaimed album that uh, uh, that he put out last year that made a lot of critics 10 best lists. It's uh, it's uh, called Malibu. And uh, yeah, he's got a really cool sound. It's almost like West Coast rap crossed with something a little more East Coast or even Miami at times. It, I I I like his vibe a lot. That one was just very sticky for me. Okay, next up, Girls Chase Boys by Ingrid Michaelson. Ingrid Michaelson has uh, been around a while. She's she's kind of she's actually had pop hits, and uh, she's kind of like a an indie popster. Um, I'd put her in the same category as like a Sarah Bareilles type singer songwriter, but with you know acoustic, but also kind of very poppy. I want to know, Julia, did like Julian Assange pass along hacked versions of our prep files? I had that one. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I like I are are zeroing in on the same songs is crazy uh, this year. Like I feel like it's more than in previous years. Yeah. Um. Okay. Next up, the classic rocker Dion and Paul Simon collaborated on an album a few years ago, and from that album, someone put on a track called "New York Is My Home," which is a dreamy ballad. But because it's about New York, the location where I strut and has a bit of swagger to it, I think it qualifies as delightful strut. You know I'm not alone. New York is my I mean, two legends collaborating together. They've collaborated before. Paul Simon has been citing Dion as a primary influence for decades. They actually did a track together, I think in the late 80s, called Written on the Subway Wall, which was like a Dion song produced by Paul Simon, featuring Paul Simon vocals. And like, this is another one. They've they've teamed up more than once, and they are basically mutual admirers of each other's work. Two New York-based 60s legends uh, teaming up there. I have one final bonus track here, which... Um is funny in two ways. One is because it involves Ed Sheeran, I think. Second is because I learned about it because uh, friend, podcast friend of the podcast, Who Weekly, uh, they have a regular segment where they, um, which they call What's Rita Up To, where they follow the doings of Rita Ora. And they mentioned that Rita Ora had a new song and basically made fun of it and compared it extremely negatively to the new Carly Rae Jepsen track, which I will note that none of us have mentioned. I do not think it's her best track. But the Rita Ora song, which I only looked up because of their public contempt for it, is called Your Song, and I believe was written by our friend Ed Sheeran. Bring us home. We're gonna we're gonna pick out one more track, and then we're gonna go around the horn on some honorable mentions, and then I think we're done. 
I feel an obligation to mention the Carly Rae Jepsen song, Cut to the Feeling, uh, which is uh, from a soundtrack to a movie that I don't think has even been re- released in America yet. It's a leftover from her 2015 album, Emotion. I'm pronouncing it that way because it's actually spelled E-motion. But anyway, um, this was the very first track on the mix, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it was submitted more than once. Um, and uh, it is probably, to be fair to Julia, a second tier cut compared to Emotion, which is a fantastic pop album. What's crazy about Carly Rae Jepsen is that she's a little bit like Lord in this. Their sounds are quite different, but they both led with an enormous culture dominating number one hit. And now they've kind of both turned into uh, critical fetish objects. Carly Rae Jepsen in particular, like she released Emotion and it was praised by critics. It made like the top three on the Paz and Jop poll, and yet she couldn't get any hits from it. So like she's no longer a radio artist, but she keeps putting out these just superlative pop records. And the fact that Cut to the Feeling is, you know, probably a B plus at best just talks, speaks to the quality of all the other stuff she's been putting out. Um, I don't know. Second tier Collie Ridge Epson is still pretty good to me. All right. I say we go around the horn one more time with shout outs. Just anything you felt you wanted to wedge into the discussion at any cost. Uh, go ahead and tell us now, Chris. <laughs> um, I want to give props to whoever submitted my all time favorite Donna Summer song. I'm an enormous Donna Summer fan. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Brooklyn in the 70s. Even though Donna Summer's from Boston, she's like an honorary Brooklynite um, and, you know, was played uh, constantly when I was a kid. And somebody put up put up um, Dim All the Lights, which was an enormous hit in 1979. It's from her Bad Girls album. It was a number two hit uh, after the number one hits Hot Stuff and Bad Girls. Uh, and she holds a note in Dim All the Lights right near the beginning. The start of this record's amazing. It almost starts sounding a little bit like a country record and then transitions into disco. And as it's transitioning into disco, she holds a, a note that is supposedly a record for like the longest held note in a pop hit or something like that. She holds it for something like 20 seconds. It's amazing. Well, I didn't want to mention artists I've talked about a bunch on the show before, but there were a few Marin Morris tracks on here. She's the country yes. artist who did My Church, which was one of my favorite recommendations or endorsements that I did over the course of the year since the last strut. Um, and the song of hers I responded to on this list was called Rich, which is a song length play on the if I had a nickel for every time. And the every time is like you, you, my boyfriend, were a jerk to me and I took you back anyway. And it's got all the lyrical cleverness and hookiness of my church on a different subject. Great song. Love that one. I guess my contribution from the classic that I already knew but was happy to hear again category would be uh, this Leader Kenny song, You're No Rock and Roll Fun, which somebody put on there from their All Hands on the Bad One album. And uh, yeah, you don't really necessarily think of them as strutty because they're not clubby. They're pretty much sort of punk style rock and roll, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But but yeah, that song just has such attitude and, uh, and really kind of encapsulates what, what what is and was so great about Slater Kinney. Yeah, briefly, if, if Slater Kinney had had a hit, which they never did, this should have been their hit. I mean, it's it's catchy and just full of life. It's a great song. Oh, that is cool. All right, I got a shout out to whoever put Deep Cut Hall & Oates on the list. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yacht that's Rock cool. in the Summertime. <laughs> I love that track. Which one was it? It's a deep It's a deep cut from uh, Abandoned Luncheonette. When the, when morning, the morning Comes. Yeah. 
probably Hall and Oates yeah, is yeah, one of Hall and Oates' three or four best albums. And that's a great song. Um, but I'm beckoned once again by the uh, oceanic euphoria that I feel only when I listen to Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> nice. Uh, Stop Desire, I thought it was a great, great tune. There are a couple of Tegan and Sarah songs on the mix. The one I mentioned in my list is Tegan and Sarah Boyfriend. Boyfriend is really good too. All right, so uh, we are going to create two lists uh, so our, our listeners can follow up. Uh, if they want to hear the you know giant unedited uh, Leviathan list, um, we'll have that, but we'll also have the edited down uh, songs that we uh, name-checked on the show list, which will be a little more manageable, probably under 40 songs, certainly. We're going to post them on the um, show page at slate.com slash culturefest. You'll be able to find them on Spotify. We'd love to hear your suggestions for favorite songs from the list or summer strut songs, whatever, but come and come and talk to us about it. All right, well, now is the moment in our podcast where we endorse day nah. What do you have? I have, Steve, a musically related endorsement that is, is sort of a, maybe it's, it's a, just a proclamation of my place in relation to Strut since I'm always mocked for my non-up-to-date taste in music. I just thought I would go a whole hog and admit to you all that I love and frequently visit the site of Archeophone Records. Do you know Archeophone Records, Chris? I do not. Well, as you might be able to figure out from the name, archaeo as in archaeology, phone is in sound. It's a it's a historical sound recording site. So they oh, wow. specialize in um, in music that was acoustically recorded, i.e., from the beginning of recording technology in 1890 until I believe 1925 is their cutoff hmm. date because that's when electricity started to play a part in recording, as opposed to I guess just the the old horn that you would record into, and so. This is really old stuff, but it is essentially the matrix, the DNA matrix from which all the music that we're listening to on these lists spring from. It's early jazz, early blues, which really sort of they obviously feed into each other really heavily mm-hmm. um, and sort of ragtime, Tin Pan Alley, show tune type stuff. Also, really, really great folk music from, you know, from traditions that were fast disappearing even at the time. So, you know, sort of old guys who had a banjo outfit during the Civil War or something and were still around to record one last song. So if you're interested in musical history and just American history in general, it's really fun to go browse around on the Archeophone record site and see what you can find. And I would be very surprised, even if you're not somebody who's, you know, currently researching the turn of the century, that you wouldn't find something that is at least an antecedent of of music that you love on Archeophone records. I also noticed perusing there about part of their site that uh, Slate Magazine named them the one of the 25 top cultural innovators of their time on some list a few years ago. So the two producers who who put this together have really great taste and just sort of cull their way to, to stuff that you didn't know you wanted to hear, but you do. Julia, what do you have? Okay, I can't stop strutting. I have one last strut suggestion, which is uh, aimed directly at Dana's earbuds. And then I have a teensy bit of Esprit d'Escalier from a show a couple weeks ago. So the strut song, last pick is the song Come by the French artist Jane, who was widely traveled in her childhood and spent some time uh, in Dubai and Congo uh, and whose music just sounds like a pop song designed for Dana to my ears. So we can see if Dana actually (laughs) enjoys this track. If we're talking about Come, it should be noted that that was actually a hit across Europe. That was actually, Come was actually a hit. It's, It's a catchy record. European pop hit, Dana Bate, 
Dana Bate. All right. So I, I have to mention that so we can put it on our mentioned songs list. Yeah, uh, Julia played a bit of it for me at the break. I had lost it in the sea of sound that right. we just waded through, but it is really up my alley. It's J-A-I-N, by the way, if you're yes. looking her up. Yes. Um, and then Esprit Escalier. I felt that our conversation about Glow, the Netflix show about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, was somehow unsatisfying. Dana and Steve both both mounted uh, withering critiques of the show. I mounted a feeble defense of its charms because I also had some ambivalence about it. I figured out what I think the key to my ambivalence is subsequent to our show. And this is the point I would have made (laughs) had I thought of it in time. The length of the episodes of that show are weird. It's a weird length. They're about 35 minutes. That's actually not a familiar length. And one thing I've learned from my husband working in television is that Actually, length and form are very closely linked in ways that are not apparent if you do not make television. Like an hour-long show is a drama and a half-hour show is a comedy, and that is just it. Like even like when you can't make a funny show that's 60 minutes and you can't make a serious show that's 30. Like those are just the rules of television, and they're beginning to be bent in the kind of post-broadcast um, era. But 35 minutes is a super weird length. It's like short for a network drama, which is 42 minutes. It's very short for a prestige drama, which is more like 60. Uh, It is um, very long for a network comedy, which would be 22. Even prestige comedies are more. It's just it's between it's between comedy and drama. And I think that's what I was responding to in in noting that they like lay out all of these important and kind of serious social issues about women and self-esteem and body image and stereotyping and media presentations and what it means to embody the cliche that people critique you for. And they kind of it, it just feels like it's skating on the surface of a bunch of serious stuff, but still fundamentally trying to be a comedy. And I think that length is the key to it. Like it. um they have more room to get a little bit, but not enough room to go far. And maybe that's why it's unsatisfying or maybe that's why it's great. I don't know. Maybe that's why it feels sort of distinctive. But that I had that insight and wanted to share it with readers. Also, the most improbable thing about that show is that it takes uh, Alison Brie six episodes to figure out that a Soviet villain would be a good idea. It's the 80s. They're not, it's not, <laughs> she's like questing around. She's trying out like weird ideas. Suddenly she meets the like, you know, bellkeep at the motel and he's Russian and she's like oh what about the USSR for a villain it's like come on that would have been your first day as she's walking by a marquee of Red Dawn and Rocky (laughs) Four for crying out loud anyway so uh, that's my Esprit Escalier about Glow thank you for indulging me love it Chris uh, as always uh, psyched you stuck around Um, what do you got so have you guys on the show talked about, uh, God knows it's already a hit movie, so I'm not recommending anything uh, unknown, um, Baby Driver? No, I haven't seen it yet, and it's hugely high on my list. I was on vacation the week it was released, so I didn't review it. I, I want to be cautious about overpraising this movie because I knew from the moment I saw the trailer I was going to like it. Um, I have music critic friends, uh, including a friend of mine who writes for Pitchfork, who who said he, quote, hated this movie with the passion of a thousand burning suns. I think you will either go for it, you will, you know, give yourself over to it, and the balletic, choreographed, singing in the rain style, uh, you know, choreography of the action to the music, or you won't. So Baby Driver, it's obviously the latest movie from director Edgar Wright of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, At Wor- The World's End, Fame, Music has been a big presence in all of his movies, but not to this extent. 
Um, and one of the things I want to endorse about it, you guys already ran a review by Sam Adams, actually, right. on, on Slate.com, and it's a terrific review, and I've largely co-signed it. He's he's mostly very praising of the movie with some caveats, and I agree with his caveats, including the very things that my critic friends hate about it. It's, it's very post-Tarantino, post-Guy Ritchie. It's kind of in love with the sound of its own voice a, a little too much, but you kind of you either go with it or you don't. Uh, but the other thing I want to endorse is um, post-millennial musical nostalgia. So... The main character, whose name is Baby, um, is this very young man. He, he can't be older than, I want to say, 20. Um, and not only is he, you know, um, obsessed with music, he's also obsessed with music that's older than he is. You know, at, at one point he struts down the street to the original version of, of Harlem Shuffle by, I think it's Bob and Ray. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he loves old soul and, and all this music that's decades older than him. In addition to that, he's nostalgic for the iPod. Not the iPhone, the iPod. He pulls multiple iPods out of his pockets. He literally walks around with two or three or four iPods. iPod, uh, the mini iPod that they stopped making in the mid 2000s, the original click wheel iPod. There's a, a flashback scene where they show the, par- the, the parents of the kid who figure heavily into the plot of the movie giving him, when he's a, a toddler, the original iPod. You, you see him opening the original box with, you know, the, the original Steve Jobs version 1.0 2001 iPod. And it just made me realize in 2017, it's possible now to do a movie where you have uh, a protagonist who's in his late teens or early 20s who was a toddler when the first iPod came out in 2001 and now fetishizes that the way some young people fetishize vinyl. I mean, it's 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 really uh, just a funny trope, and I, I got a huge kick out of the fact that I don't think the kid uses an iPhone once. He does use cell phones in the movie, but I don't think he uses an iPhone once in the whole movie, and he seems obsessed with, you know, actually having his music on an MP3 player the old the now old-fashioned way. So, I don't know, just as a music nerd who still has an iPod Classic collecting dust in a drawer at home, I, I, that charmed the hell out of me. So. That's very endearing. Well, you know, Edgar Wright, who I follow on Twitter, and who's very fun to follow on Twitter, by the way, he's a great presence there, has has written some stuff about his own iPod and how he still carries around an iPod and listens to music that way. So I think, you know, he, he was that was a little bit of living by proxy yeah. for him. Apple stopped making that kind of iPod about five years ago, I think, four years ago, something like that. They they still make the ones with touchscreens that are like iPhones without the phone, but they don't make those iPods anymore. And I, I love that we've now reached the point where that's a, a nostalgia point in a movie so very funny um so all right well i have uh i have a couple things i want to endorse um very quickly the first is uh it's a summer reading season um if you haven't done it you should discover the spy novels of graham green i'm sure i've endorsed them multiple times in the past but every few summers i go back to them they're superb they're just you know saturated with mid-century catholic guilt and empire guilt belated empire guilt and beautifully written i mean once you kind of get the flavor of them you can't stop and the great thing about graham green he's the rare writer who wrote a ton of books in all all essentially in the same mode um and 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 once you have the knack of it uh there's there's a lot you don't you don't run out quickly and he was at wrote wrote them at a very consistent and a high level so highly recommended and and the second thing is the instant pot anyone here have an instant pot what? <laughs> no, I don't even understand what those is two words Is that about weed of... or tea? <laughs> it's about Wait, neither. tea is a word for weed shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a euphemism. The Instant Pot, I'm going to just read right here, is the latest third-generation programmable pressure cooker designed by Canadians with the objective <laughs> wait, wait, wait. of being... 
<laughs> it's the latest third generation programmable one designed by Canadians. Like yeah, that there's, needs yeah. an editor. There's so many Canadian third generation. Un- under a blue moon on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, proceed. <laughs> anyway, it was designed by these Canadians with the objectives of being like Canadians themselves, safe, convenient, and dependable. <laughs> I I didn't go in looking to make a Canada joke, but one came out. Uh, anyway, the thing about the Instant Pot is that it's a it's a pressure cooker. It cooks things really, really, really fast. And if you're like me and 4 p.m. rolls around and you have not planned a dinner for your family, it is so easy to get a bunch of ingredients, toss them in the Instant Pot and make like a curry or some kind of stew. And the meat is just, you know, insanely tender. Um, and the, uh, the broth is savory and and as an even more you know enormous plus you don't have to remember to soak dried beans overnight so you can um wean yourself of the uh canned bean habit and you can do um homemade vegetarian stews as well the instant pot is it's it is a miraculous machine it takes a little bit um like graham green it takes a little getting used to but once you do you can't um, stop using it. Can I? Uh, can I ask a question? Is the pressure cooker yeah. a thing like the birth control pill and the IUD that like has a bad rap because of how badly it was made in the seventies, but is actually safe and wonderful now? That is a beautiful way of putting it. I do think that 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 um, pressurized cooking got a bad name back in the nineteen seventies, um, and b- people do associate it with uh, obsolete birth control. You're correct, <laughs> and it's now. <laughs> Um, that the, the pleasure is all ours. I mean, we—it's uh, you know—it's it, it's guilt-free pressurized cooking in the same way. Now we all have guilt-free sex. I mean, it's um, <laughs> it, no, it's it's an, no, it's an amazing—it's an amazing device, and apparently people uh, overcome their skepticism of it immediately. You can just cook inc- incredible meals in like—I mean, I'm going to say it in like half an hour. I mean, it's like un- stuff that you would think would have to, you know. Um, simmer all day on the stovetop you can do in under an hour uh, I gotta tell you it really I mean it really it's almost you almost just feel wrong right like like the the amount of labor intensive intensivity relative to the savoriness seems as though you've like you know t- torn a torn a you know a little hole in the fabric of the universe or <laughs> I don't there, deserve this broth yeah no I don't deserve <laughs> this broth exactly the savory broth um, <laughs> <laughs> is this the weirdest endorsement? <laughs> no, it's, no, not, it's a like good endorsement. I'm so on board. It's I actually want a good endorsement. My, I'm going to go uh, click it up. My girlfriend got the Instant Pot recently, and she says she's doing hard-boiled eggs in it as she eases into it because it does have a learning curve, but like she's really psyched to this do This learning curve language is not making me feel like this is the modern equivalent of the IUT. It's a wee bit... I mean, I really don't want to go down this fucking double entendre <laughs> rat hole, but no, it's it's a little tricky at first, but once you get the hang of it, Julia, you will be using it all the time. <laughs> it's it's really, it's really, <laughs> you got to trust me on this. It's really freaking amazing. Get over your Instapot, Instant Pot anxiety. You will be, you know, completely satisfied, I promise. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I, <laughs> it was, someone dragged me out of the segment. <laughs> oh, I didn't read dear. the credits, Steve. Read the credits. Yeah, yes, exactly. All right, um, Dana, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Julia, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Chris, always, man, an immense pleasure to have you on the show. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Steve. 
All right. Well, you'll find links to some of the things we talked about today at our show page, slate.com slash culturefest. You can email us at culturefest at slate.com or drop us a note at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash culturefest. Our producer is Benjamin Frisch. Our intern is Daniel Schrader. Uh, huge ups to him uh, and uh, Ben compiling this massive list this week. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. The Culture Gap Fest is part of that network. And you can check out an entire roster of shows at panoply.fm. Our Twitter feed is at Slate Cult Fest. For Julia Turner, Dana Stevens, and Chris Melanfi, I'm Steve Metcalf. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Go on, go on, go on.